Well, good evening. Uh, tonight, let's open our Bibles to 2 Kings. We're going to look at chapter 1 this evening. <clears throat> Excuse me. 2 Kings, obviously a continuation of 1 Kings. And just as a way of review from when we were in 1 Kings many uh, weeks ago, uh, Second Kings, the uh, first and Second Kings, excuse me, were originally in the Hebrew text. They were uh, Samuel, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings. They were just labeled kings, uh, you know. For, and then you know, like First Kings, Second, Third, Fourth Kings, and then somewhere around the uh, the time of the writing of the Septuagint, which was the uh, translating the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, translating that into uh, Greek, and, and that's why they call it the Septuagint. There were 70 scholars who came together and translated it from Hebrew to Greek, and we know that the New Testament was originally written in Greek and Aramaic. But ever since the Septuagint, written around the 2nd or 3rd uh, century B.C., uh, they divided those uh, those four uh, sections into two books. So we had First and Second Samuel, and then First and Second Kings, and then really from the time that um, from that time going forward, even to when uh, Jerome in the fifth century A.D. translated the Bible from its native tongue into Latin. Uh, from that moment onward, it was always. Uh, in those divisions that we see in our Bible today. So 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, then 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And, so, and, and that's really how it was divided up. And some think that the author of this book was actually, might have been Jeremiah, but the problem is, is that Jeremiah um, didn't go to Babylon. Uh, when, Babylon uh, when Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians around 607, uh, BC, right around that time frame, uh, we know that Daniel and his three comrades, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, those are their Babylonian names, but they went to uh, Babylon into captivity. In fact, there were at least three different deportments or deportations of the Jews uh, for those 20 years, from like um, you know, 607 and 606 until about 586 BC. And Jeremiah was also, um, he stayed in Jerusalem, but Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, was contemporary with the prophet Jeremiah, but Ezekiel got carried away captive as well into Babylon, but Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. And so um, we don't think that really Jeremiah was the author of this or, or the uh, compiler and the writer of it, but uh, many believe that Ezekiel may have been one of those people who uh, put together this uh, book of First and Second Kings uh, in Babylon while he was in captivity, which is is pretty interesting. And so, um, just wanted to share that with you before we get into uh, the next portion here. And one thing that we're going to see is, unfortunately, the kings of Israel and Judah never did well. The the kings of Judah, there were some. Uh, bright lights, some bright stars in, the, in those kings of the, of the southern um, two tribes. One of them was Jehoshaphat. Asa was another one. We know that Hezekiah was another great king of Judah. He was what they call a reformer king, along with Josiah, perhaps the, the best king uh, other than David and Solomon. Uh, Josiah led a great reform 
um, in, the, in, the north, in the southern tribes, excuse me. And, but the only problem is, is in the northern ten tribes, they never really recovered from their idolatry. They, they never had a great king. From the very beginning, when Jeroboam, when the kingdom split after Solomon passed away, remember the, the, the northern ten tribes went to Jeroboam and the southern two tribes went to Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son. But the northern ten tribes, they continued... They began an idolatry, and they ultimately ended an idolatry. And I find it interesting that they were the first group to go into captivity. In fact, the, the history that we're reading, really, uh, First and Second Kings, is really a history book, if you will, of Israel. And Israel, the northern ten tribes, fell into, or were taken captive by the Assyrians around 722 B.C., and history tells us that when they were led captive, it was a pretty horrible thing because they would actually lead them out and they would actually put fish hooks or hooks inside their mouth and through their lip or through the bottom of their chin and they would lead them on a gang. They would have them together lined up and they would march them into Assyria. And the Assyrians were butchers and they were very horrible men. They were very brutal, and they were known for their brutality when they took over their constituents or their enemies. And so they went into captivity in 722 B.C., and it wasn't long after that. Just a 100 or 200 years later, we find that the, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, finally, not having learned anything from their northern brothers from the northern ten tribes, they, they continued in their idolatry. And you would think that seeing you know, most of you know, Israel being taken away into captivity and all of the prophets had been you know, day and night going to those people, explaining to them why they were going into captivity because of their idolatry, you would think that once it finally came to pass that Judah and Benjamin would look around and go, you know, I think we really need to change our ways. That was God's hope is that they would change their ways, but they would not. And isn't that just the, the unfortunate lot of man? You know, we see things happen, we, we see consequences happening all around us, and we think that somehow we can get away with it, that we can do better. And it's not, it's not true. God holds all accountable, and even his beloved Jerusalem whom he had made uh, promises to David that there would not fail a king to sit on the throne of God as long as they were obedient. And they were obedient to some extent, but finally they too would succumb to captivity under the Babylonians in 586. They would finally come and, and burn, their, burn their city down, burn their temple down. After 20 years of deporting them, you know, like I said, they were taken captive in 606. They started taking all the best of the, of the young men uh, to Babylon. And so for 20 years, Babylon was shipping men and women off to Babylon. And during that time, they were laying siege to, to Jerusalem. And then finally in 586... They burn the thing down, and they, they murder many. And those who had been deported to Babylon now are going to be living in a strange land with a, a group of people who speak a strange language. 
They would be surrounded by idolatry all around them, and God would give them what they, were hope, what they had been doing all this time. And one of the neat things, one of the good things, I think, that God cured Israel from when he, took, when he allowed them to go to captivity is he cured them from their idolatry. Because when they came back, idolatry was not Baal worship and the like. It, it wasn't an issue for Israel like it was before. And so God has a plan and a purpose in all things, and he has his way. You know, the Bible says that he has his way in the whirlwind. And I like that. You know, when we think of a whirlwind, I mean, you can think of it however you want to think of it. It's a disastrous thing. But in everything that God allows or God directs, he has a purpose in it. And hopefully in everything that we encounter in our life, we will always come to the conclusion that, God, you are gracious, you're you're wonderful, and even when you allow difficult things to happen in my life, I will still love you, I will still praise you. Because God doesn't, for, for the child of God, God doesn't allow or even directly impact things in your life to destroy you. The enemy wants to destroy us, but he is on a leash. He cannot do any farther than what God allows him to do. Do you, do you believe that? You may not believe that, but let me tell you that the Bible states that very clearly. You can look in Job chapter 1, and you can look in Job chapter 2, and you read those first two chapters and the first few verses of each of those chapters, and you'll find that the enemy of our soul, Satan, has to go before the throne of God. And even today, he has to go before the throne of God, this accuser of the brethren. He has to go before him, Almighty God, and ask for permission what he can do. And only God can say, you can do this, but you can go no further. And see, God knows something that Satan doesn't know. God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's not, the devil is not equal to him. God alone is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the outcome of all things. So when he allows Satan to tempt or, or to do things that he, that, that's born in his heart, meaning Satan's heart, when he allows Satan to do those things and God allows him to go no further, he cannot go any further. But God knows something that Satan doesn't know, and that is what that trial is going to do in your and my life. How it's going to impact us, how it's going to even grow our faith. If you look at the book of Job, you will see at the end, look at the last chapter, and you'll find that God blesses Job twice than he did when he first started. And Job had a knowledge, an experiential knowledge of God's character and love unlike he had ever had before. And I'm willing to bet that if Job were to speak to us today and you asked him, Job, was it worth going through all of the trouble that, that you went through to get to the place where you are afterwards? And he would say, I'm sure, absolutely. Was it easy? To have the boils and, and to be so sick and, and then to have my whole family taken from me, all my livestock, all my possessions. And that's not just some allegory, folks. That's a real man. Jesus said he spoke of Job as a real man. So this is not some story like some people think of Jonah as some kind of child story. No, Jonah really happened. There was a man in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, and he was vomited out, and he went into Nineveh, all white, probably stained from the acid of the fish's stomach. He goes into Nineveh and preaches a message of condemnation, and they all receive Christ. Pretty amazing. Was that just a children's story? No, Jesus spoke about Jonah as a real person. But see, Judah 
didn't learn the lesson, and they too. And, and as we go through Second Kings, we're going to see a continuation of the kings of the northern ten tribes and the kings of the southern two tribes. And we're going to see, as we go, we're going to see the northern ten tribes continue in their idolatry, God warning them, warning them. And we'll, when we get into Jeremiah and other areas of the scripture, we'll see this again. God warns them about what they're doing. He gives them ample time to turn. They do not turn, and God allows them to be taken captive. And then the southern two tribes, they don't learn a lesson. They continue doing what they're doing. And then finally, God allows them to be taken captive. And they're in Babylon for 70 years. And then wonderful miracle of miracles after 70 years, he brings them back into their land and they rebuild their temple. But their hearts are broken. Their lives are changed. They are rid of idolatry. And God has his way. I don't know about you, but I want God to have his way in me. Do you want God to have his way in you? One of the most wonderful things we can do as people, as, ch as children of God, is to surrender quickly. Surrender quickly. Don't play footloose and fancy with sin. If there is a big issue or little issue of sin in, in each of our lives... Be quick to turn from it. Be quick to label it what it is. Be quick, quick to confess it and turn from it. And can I tell you that the, when you do that, you will have a blessed life. You know, the, the enemy waves this carrot out in front of us saying, if you do this and you do that, you're going to be blessed. And the Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. It is. Otherwise, nobody would do it. But then the bill comes due, usually the next morning. When you're waking up on the floor and vomit because of the party you had the night before, or you're waking up in bed with somebody you've never met before, these things happen in the world. And unfortunately, they happen in the church. And you and I need to take stock of these things and say, Lord, I don't want to be like that. That was my old life, my old man. He's dead. He's dead in Christ, but you've given me a new spirit, God. You've placed your spirit within me. Now I'm a child of God. Lord, I belong to you. And even though I'm not perfect and I slip from time to time, help me to be quick to confess and quick to turn and quick to just love him. Do you love the Lord? And if you do love the Lord, then why are you still holding on to things that you know you, not, you shouldn't do? And maybe nobody in here that fits the shoe. <laughs> maybe no one in this in, in, in here, maybe that doesn't apply to you, but there are people who will hear this message later. And so I'm asking them too. Why wait? And in the days that we live in, isn't it time that we get serious in our walk with the Lord? Isn't it time that we put away the foolish things? Paul said, when I was a child, you know, I did foolish things. But when I was mature and as I grew, I put away those childish things. I put away those things that I flirted with. Let's do that as a church in, in this fellowship and, and all across America. May we be those people who are not going to flirt with this stuff anymore. And Lord, help us to have right hearts, to love people, and help not politics divide us. Because guess what? Whether you're Republican, Independent, or Democrat, the Lord loves you. And he wants to save your soul. 
He wants you to live in eternity with him. He doesn't want the alternative. And you choose the alternative. You choose your destiny. Do I want to be in heaven forevermore or do I want to be in hell for eternity? We make that decision. And so as we go through Kings, we're going to see this awful narrative played out. Yes, it's a history. It is history of Israel, but as we go through it, there's a lot here we can apply to our own life. There's a lot of lessons here that we see in the Kings of both the North and the South. They're going to make mistakes that we can learn from. They're going to do things that we can learn from. So let's do it. Let's read. Let's read. Um, uh, because chapter 1 is fairly short, I'm going to read the entire thing, and then we're going to go back and look at it, okay? So look at chapter uh, 1 of Second Kings, beginning in verse 1. He says, now King David, oop, I'm in First Kings. Sorry about that. I'm, I should be in Second Kings. No wonder it looked odd to me. That was a cue to laugh. Anybody laughing? No? Nobody laughing? All right. We can add that in later. Just kidding. So, verse 1. So Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured, and so he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise and go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah departed. And when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? And so they said to him, a man came to us to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed with which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And then he said to them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you these words? And so they answered him. A hairy man was wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. (laughs) And then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50. And so he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire indeed came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And then he sent another, sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus, has, thus says the king, or excuse me, Man of God, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to him a second time, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire came down from the heaven, from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And again he sent the third captain of fifty and his fifty men. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty men, fifty servants of yours, be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of fifties with their fifties. 
But let my life now be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. And then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Ahaziah died, according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram, or Joram, became king in his place. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king, kings of Israel? A very interesting passage, wouldn't you agree? You know, let's go back to verse 1 here. It says that um, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So during Ahab's reign, he evidently had... Uh, a deal set up with the the men and the king of Moab, of Moab, which if you were looking at a map, here is Judah, and Moab would be uh, somewhere down in the um, in the southeastern part of uh, of uh, out, just outside of Israel. It would be there, and he was supposed to give him a certain number of sheep and a certain number of sheep uh, uh, wool every year. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab, seeing that Ahab was now dead and his son was nowhere near as powerful, at least in his thought, he decided not to pay tribute any longer. And so it became, uh, Moab did rebel after Ahab. And as we go through this chapter, you're going to find something interesting. It almost seems like a, a little out of place, this statement, because this statement is going to be developed later on in chapter 3. We're going to, we're going to hear more about it, but I, the, the writer, the Spirit of God, just wanted to make us aware that, oh, by the way, this is the, the scene in which all of this is occurring. And so we're going to see um, the, the battle of of, of Israel versus Moab uh, later on in chapter 3. So now Ahaziah, uh, verse 2, fell through the lattice of his room in Samaria. Samaria, remember, being the capital city of the northern ten tribes. And he was injured, and so he sent messengers to them and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury so a lattice is really just a network of, uh, of something um, that usually you can see through. And many times it wasn't really thick. And so what probably happened is maybe he was leaning up against the lattice and maybe it wasn't as secure as it ought to be. But either way, Ahaziah falls through the lattice on the second story of his, of his house, palace, and he falls and he hurts himself. And he doesn't die immediately, but he is severely wounded so much so that he's bedridden. And so this wound that he incurred would ultimately be his demise. But like father, like son, does he call on God? Remember who Ahab was. He was one of the worst kings that Israel had ever seen. And remember his wife, Jezebel, who was a very evil woman. Ahab and Jezebel, the dynamic duo. And they have a son, they have, they have a number of sons, but Ahaziah is their son. And so, like father, like son, he calls not on Jehovah God, but he calls on Baal, 
the, the gods of his father and his mother. And let me ask you something, moms and dads. Do you think that your influence on your kids is important? Do you think that the things that you say, the things that you do are important? They are, and here's proof positive, because this young man grew up in a household where idols were worshipped, demons were worshipped, and demons were controlling Jezebel and Ahab and Israel. Demons. So, did this young man learn anything from his mom and dad? Yes, he did. He learned plenty, but it didn't bring him closer to Jehovah God. It didn't bring him closer to Christ at all. It brought him further away. And, and so, you know, and this, this is true that, you know, your kids, they may not listen to what you say, but they will do what you do. Isn't it true? So if we say and do what we profess, profess they will likely follow suit. But if, we, if you say something, but you do not do, they will more likely not listen to what you said. Because we have to not only talk the talk, we need to walk the walk. See, I can talk all I want to my daughter, but unless she sees the reality of my relationship with Christ, it's going to go in, ear, in one ear and out the other. Because isn't it a vibrant faith that we have? Our faith in Christ, isn't it real? I mean, isn't it, didn't it change your life? And if it did, then it's still changing your life. Because if I'm still, if I'm one of Christ, then I'm going to let him do what he wants to do in me. And I'm going to let him have all of me. And if he's got all of me, then things around me should be changing. There should be some difference. There should be something happening in my life. And yes, it's not always pleasant either. Because if you're walking the walk, you are not going to necessarily be encouraged, you're certainly not going to receive accolades from the world and even your family. And unfortunately, even in the church sometimes. Because the church is filled with lukewarm Christians. I'm not saying you necessarily, but the church in totality in America is lukewarm. As long as things are going good, we're good. But this man learned plenty. But even though there are no guarantees, there is a wonderful promise that the Lord gives us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Remember, you know this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Because see, when a child uh, has a foundation, especially a good foundation, has been taught good biblical values, there will be there in their consciences, and even though they may fumble a bit as they are growing, Continue to pray and don't lose heart because God is still working and he's going to work out that foundation because when they come into trouble and as they get older, they're going to rely back on their foundation. It's almost like they almost can't help it. They remember the days when their mother and their father read to them and all of a sudden the truth of that comes to haunt them. But we will see, just like his father and mother, he too, this Ahaziah, would go down the same sinful path just like his parents and he would ultimately be destroyed. But notice what it says in verse 2 there. It says, you know, Ahaziah says, Go and inquire of Baalzebub. This Hebrew name is actually Baalzebub. And it literally means Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. 
And it was probably an alteration of the original Canaanite spelling, which was Baal Zebul, which means Lord of the high place. But I love how the Hebrews, they just change one word, and now it becomes no longer the Lord of the high place, but now the Lord of the flies, by just the changing of one character. But Beelzebub was a Philistine uh, deity. And he was even the one that, remember when Jesus, he was even accused of, of being empowered by Beelzebub. You might want to put a mark in your Bible, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 30, right there by Beelzebub, because this is, and I'll just read it to you, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 30. It says in Matthew's gospel, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, and he was blind and mute, and he healed him. And so at the blind and man, both began to he both spoke and he saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? And notice what it says in verse 24. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow, does ca- he casts out demons, or he does not cast out demons, except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So they were accusing Jesus of being led by a demon when he was casting these demons out of people. But Jesus knew their hearts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided itself against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And then he goes on and says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. So yes, Beelzebub, this prince of the demons. Notice in verse 3, back in our text though, it says, But the angel of the Lord. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord, usually that is a, what we call a theophany or a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ. It's literally Jesus, before he was incarnate through the Virgin Mary, he showed up in history way before he was incarnate at different times, and he's often known as the angel of the Lord. And we know that because as he, when he stood before Joshua after, uh, right before the destruction of, of, of Jericho, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him, remember, with his sword drawn, and, and he bowed down to this, the angel of the Lord, and he received worship. The only angel that will receive worship and that should receive worship is, is, is the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ. Satan wants to be worshipped. He'll gladly receive your worship. But we don't want to worship him, do we? (laughs) No, we want to worship the great King of kings and the Lord of lords. The angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 19. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in in the burning bush in Exodus 3. The angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Even Samson's father and mother in Judges 13, the angel of the Lord spoke to them. And so now this angel of the Lord, which is very likely Jesus pre-incarnate, He comes and the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Arise and go meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Am I I not able to heal you, Ahaziah? 
Sure, go to your false gods, but I'm the only one who has control over your life and your death. Your life is hanging in the balance, and you're going to go and speak and inquire of a demon? Okay. You can do that. If you like. If you choose. Notice God doesn't make anybody do anything. He gives them, there's a, it's all by your own volition, right? You're not forced to do anything. So he chooses to go. He wants to hear from Beelzebub. See, God is a jealous God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you might want to write this down in your Bibles right next to this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at the first 15 verses here. But God is a jealous God because he loves you. He doesn't want you to uh, be harmed. He loves you. He wants to see you be blessed. It says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So God is giving this uh, to the children of Israel before they cross the Jordan into the promised land. Notice he says, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, notice, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. And he goes on in verse uh, 7 of that, and he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children all these things. You shall talk of them when you sit down and when you walk by the, the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And this is where Ahab, you understand, failed with his son Ahaziah. And this is where also many of us fail today too. Because we don't talk to our children about the Lord. Many have failed in that they no longer talk about the Lord at all. They don't talk about his word. They don't get into the word. And, and, and even what God has done in your lives, parents, have you shared that with your children? And then do we wonder why our kids don't follow the Lord? Talk to them about the Lord. Are they going to like it? Is it going to be as exciting as Xbox? No. But take some time and say, you know what? We're just going to spend a half hour and we're just going to get into a little bit. We're going to spend 45, whatever it is, whatever time, take some time and, and, and develop a habit of it. Tell them and be real with them. Believe me, the Bible is very real, but then you can back it up with your own experience. You can say, I can tell you that this is true because this is what God did in my life. And can I tell you what God did in my life? Back in 1972, God did this. Or yesterday, God did this. Or last week, God did this. Your children, your grandchildren, they need to hear that. Otherwise, this is just some book that's just dusty and old and needs to be replaced with you know, the new world order. It needs to be replaced by the world economic, you know, the, the WEF. But this is the part of discipleship. It is discipleship. We tell them the great things God has done. We read the Bible to them. We show them how practically to walk in the Spirit every day. Down in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 6, it says this, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and you shall take oaths in his name. And you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God, here it is, is a jealous God among you. And see, God is jealous, not in an insecure way, but in a protective way over the capstone of his creation, which is you and I. He's jealous for you. Not like a, you know, when you think of it, um, he's, not, he's not insecure. 
When a man is jealous over his wife speaking to another man, it's usually because there's an insecurity either in the man within himself or within the relationship with his wife. There's something about her. Maybe she flirts a little too much, and so he's, he's not really comfortable. He's not secure in their marriage. And, and, and in his own heart, he might not be secure. So a man gets jealous because he is insecure. But this is not the kind of jealousy that God has. He's nothing but a loving heavenly father. He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. And he knows alone what's best for us. And that's why he's jealous over you, because he knows what sin will do to you. He knows what is good and what is bad. And that's why he tells us in advance in his words, so that we might listen and that we might obey and that there, there are blessings for obedience and there's also consequences for disobedience. Has anybody recognized that there's a consequences for disobedience? If I go 55 down Penfield Road or on, on Five Mile Line and it's 35, if I get pulled over, I'm going to get a big, pretty big ticket. That's the consequence of my sin. But God will often interrupt us. He will often interrupt us. As he is doing to Ahaziah, he's interrupting his life. And he's bringing Elijah in and saying, Ahaziah, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. God did the same thing with Balaam. Remember when Balaam was, was going to uh, curse the, the children of Israel and he's going on his way and God interrupts and the, only the donkey can see him. Balaam is totally blind. He can't see the, don or, you know, the angel of the Lord in front of the donkey. And finally the donkey just crushes his foot up next to a wall. And then the strangest thing happens... He yells at the donkey, and the donkey replies, and he still carries on the conversation. I wonder how many seconds it was as he's speaking to the donkey, thinking, he shouldn't be speaking at all. <laughs> how many of you have heard a donkey or an animal talking to you? Not too many. But this is why God sent prophets to Israel and to Judah to warn them about their rebellion and what it was going to cost them. God did that to, uh, to Israel when he, he used Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, it says this, For thus says the Lord, and, and this is God warning Judah, the southern two tribes. He says, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts, here it is, I love this, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity, I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I I cause you to be carried away captive. And see, that is exactly what, why God is going to challenge Ahaziah through the prophet Elijah. He's warning him, just like he did with Israel, with Judah. It's coming, it's coming. All right, what are you going to do? So notice verse 4, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from your bed. So now the hammer drops on Ahaziah, and notice that God does not give Ahaziah an opportunity to change his mind. 
The hammer drops immediately. God doesn't waver in what he's going to do. And for many, this is why they don't come to the Lord. This is why many don't read his word, because they read this passage like this. They determine without further inquiry that God is cruel and unjust. People do it all the time. They read a passage like this, they randomly open up an unbeliever and they read it and go, oh, that, that can't be, you know, God's mean. He's cruel and unjust. Hey, but guess what? <laughs> if you take the time to read the entire Bible, you'll find that the counsel of God in the entire Bible is what you really need. And then you will understand why God does what he does. And if you peel that onion a little bit more and do a little bit more investigating, you will find that God was, um, was actually just in doing what he was doing. Had they taken the whole Bible into account, they would understand the heart of God and the grace that he had shown to Ahab and the grace that God was willing to show to Ahaziah, his son. Yes, God was willing, but Ahaziah was not willing. I believe that if Ahaziah had called out to the Lord as soon as he fell off out of that lattice and was mortally wounded, and as he lay there in pain, if he cried out to God, I believe that God would have healed this man. But instead, they take him up to his bed and he calls on the false demons, the false gods. And God says, because you did that, you're not going to recover. You're going to die. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> How would you like to hear that message? Do you think God wasted his words? Do you think God was just? Ahaziah wasn't seeking God, and so he was left to his impotent gods to help him, and they didn't help him. So why does God drop the hammer like this on Ahaziah? One possibility, I certainly don't know the mind of God such that I could tell you why that happened, but one possibility is that Ahaziah, as a young man, he was a young man while God, while God was dealing with his father Ahab. He watched how God dealt with his father. He watched how Elijah came and spoke to his father and the things that were prophesied against his father and the grace also that God showed Ahab. If you listen to the last couple messages on this chat, on this, on, on, on uh, first Kings, God was very gracious at times with Ahab, giving him an opportunity. But now his son, he's watching all these things. Now he's accountable for what he saw his father go through. But only God knows the reason and the purpose of these things. But he was certainly held accountable because he saw, he experienced it with his father and with his mother. But unfortunately, it made no lasting effect on him. He died a pagan and a sinner, just like his father. But it was his own fault. It wasn't God's fault. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You choose that ticket yourself. We don't like to think like that, but that's the truth. And God's heart is for you to choose him. Is it so bad to believe in Christ? Is there something about him that, so, that you really hate? Why would you hate someone who saw you in your sin and, and actually allowed himself to pay the price for your sin so that you wouldn't have to go to eternal damnation. How could anyone hate somebody like that? I'll tell you why people hate him, because you have to give up your old sin nature. You have to give up the old man. 
And most people aren't willing to give up the old man. They like smoking dope. They like having sex with multiple partners. They like drinking and they like doing whatever they want. They like cheating on their income taxes. They like doing all of these things and sticking needles in their arms. They want to continue doing that. And God is saying, no, 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 it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. No, it's not. It's not going to kill me. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. No, it's not. I want to, I want to be free from your, you know, I want to be free from this oppression God that you're telling you're trying to tell me to stay away from something and I want to be free I'm an American well be free you're gonna die right if you really want freedom your freedom is gonna kill you real freedom is not that real freedom is being out of the hand of sin out of the hand of the devil being able to choose. Before Christ came into my heart, I was a slave to sin. And now that he has saved my soul, no longer do I have to do it. Now he's given me the strength to resist it. I'm not perfect, and I fail at times, and I have to confess it and move on and ask God to forgive me, and he does according to his promise, right? But Ahaziah had crossed the Rubicon, the point of no return. And there is a time for everyone's life. And this is a hard message. It's one I've shared before, but it's true. It seems really harsh for God to say, Ahaziah, you're, you're going to die on that bed. Because you didn't seek me, you sought the false gods. Because you went to them first, you're, gonna, you're not going to get up from this bed. And at face value, you can think, that's horrible. How could God do that? Well, there was a time in Jeremiah's life too, and it's recorded for us in Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah is complaining and telling the people of Judah and, and, you know, of their sins and all of their idolatry, and they are not listening to him one bit. And the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim here there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel." Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then... I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do you see the conditional promise? If you do all these things, then I will cause you to dwell in this place. In the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come to me and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, but I, but go now to my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called to you, but you did not answer, therefore I will do to this house, which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to 
This place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done unto Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all of your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. So by the time he wrote this, Ephraim, or the northern ten tribes, had already been taken captive. And now Jeremiah is pleading with them, turn away or it's coming to you as well. You're going to go into captivity. Therefore, do not... And notice what God says to Jeremiah. And this is a mind blower. Therefore, God says to Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. Nor lift up a cry or prayer for them. Nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do to the cities or in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? So God even told this wonderful prophet, don't even pray for them. They crossed the Rubicon, Jeremiah. And only God knows that line. Where that line is in every life, I have no idea. There's no rule, there's no, there's no way to figure this out. But I can tell you this, it's important that we take sin seriously and we don't flirt with it. And we take it and we turn from it. Because Ahaziah, his Rubicon had been crossed. And that's why God says, there is no hope for you now. You are going to die. And Israel as a nation even got to the place where they become so corrupted that, God, that as Jeremiah is praying for them, oh Lord, please deliver them from this idolatry. Lord, deliver them from this stuff. And God says, don't even bother praying anymore, uh, uh, Jeremiah. Because I know them. And they've crossed the Rubicon. And I will not hear your prayer. Judgment is coming. And it did. And see, that's a little frightening, isn't it? Is God a God of grace? Yes, absolutely. Does God love you and me? He does. He loves us. And I want you to smile because he really, really adores you. These are the hard parts of the Bible, but we shouldn't skirt by them because if there is anything that keeps me from sin, I, don't, I want to be, I do not want my sin on me. Jesus said, place it on me. Place your sin on me. Didn't he do that on the cross? I just need to confess it and believe that he'd, he died in my place. Because why? Why is that? Because Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It even says in Ezekiel 33, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? That's God's heart pleading to a people who have been in rebellion. Back in our text, it says, uh, verse 5, it says, So when the messengers returned back to him, he said to them, Why have you come back? And so they said to him, I met this man, and he told me this message. Therefore, you know, you're going to die uh, in, the, in your bed. And notice that these messengers, uh, they knew, and there was no reason now to inquire of Beelzebub. They were going to go to the false god and, and get in inquiry about how Ahaziah was doing. But now that they run into a real prophet of God, a real man of God, there's no need to go any further now because they heard the truth. And isn't it true that when you hear the truth, that there's something about it, it just rings true in your head. It rings true in your ears when you hear the truth, even if it hurts. Have you ever had somebody tell you a truth that hurt you, but it was true? 
Oh my goodness, those are the ones that split me in two. But you know what? I'd rather be told the truth than somebody lie to me and say everything's okay. No, tell me what's wrong. It may keep me up tonight. It may keep me on my face in prayer, but tell me and don't lie to me. You know, and so... Verse 7, then he said to them, what kind of man was it? And so he, they described him. He was a hairy man, and he had a leather belt around his waist. And notice, he knew exactly who it was. It must be Elijah. I know him. Unfortunately, he says, I knew him. I, my father knew him, and I know him too. Notice his reputation preceded him. Who was it that came to you? He, he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and he had jeans and flip-flops. Oh, it must be a Calvary Chapel pastor. Sorry, I don't have a Hawaiian shirt on. But then, notice, the king sent 50 to come, and they were going to arrest Elijah. So Elijah's up there on the hill. 50 men come, and they say, come down, we're going to take you to the big shot. Come down, man of God. And Elijah said, well, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven. And it does, it consumes them. And this ought to remind them of what happened when Ahab was still alive. Remember when Ahab was still alive? That there came a point where God used Elijah to face off with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel up in the northwestern part of Israel. And remember what happened with the, the fire and the altar and how they, they, the, 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 the Baal worshipers were trying to get God to, their, their God to light this fire. Nothing happened. Finally, Elijah soaks his altar with water. God comes down, consumes it. Everybody knows that, okay, he's the God that we ought to be worshiping. And Elijah and the people, they slay the prophets of Baal. Now 50 more come. It ought to, be, it ought to still be resonating in their ears as they sat there. And as soon as Elijah said, uh, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you. If I was those guys, I would be running for cover. But it does. It consumes them. And then the king sends another 50 and does the same thing. And one would think as Elijah is speaking the second time, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down. You would think that... <laughs> That someone who is, you know, as he's speaking, that, uh, they're, you know, they're looking around and seeing all these men dead, well done from the fire from heaven. You'd think that they would say, you know what, I'm going to obey. I'm not going to push this guy. And so finally... A third captain of, of another 50 come, and they say the same thing, come down. And then, and the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with them, because the men, this third time, they, they humble themselves. The captain and all of them, they're like, you know what, we, we, we see the bodies of these men all around us, and we know that your God is the true and living God. Have mercy on us. And God was delighted when somebody humbled themselves. Humility is a wonderful thing with God. He resists the proud, doesn't he? But he loves the humble. And, and that ought to teach us something. Lord, give me a humble heart. I don't think too much of myself. And, and neither should you. you know, we, we, I'm simply a, a child of God, saved by grace. And yet these men, 
thought themselves to be something. But this third group, they bowed to, to Elijah and bowed before the God of Elijah. Notice how God was gracious to the humble man. And God had a hold of Elijah's heart. You know, Elijah wasn't so angry that when God says, go with the man, he's like, no, I'm going to smoke him just like I did the other 50. Of course, he couldn't because God would say, well, it's not going to happen this time. And Elijah's like, his heart was one with God. And don't you want a heart like to be one with God? I do. I want my heart to be like his because it's so unlike God. And I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to appear spiritual or humble. No, I'm being honest with you. I want my heart to be like God's heart because my heart has still got so much work to be done on it. My heart is still harboring bitterness and hatred in certain areas of my life. And these things need to go. I need to do that. And, you know, it's always a good thing just to open yourself up before the Lord and say, Father, you know all things. Just take me. Take all of me and forgive me and, and be patient in the process. Because sanctification is the will of God. Isn't that what 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 tells us? This is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a process that takes time. I want to be like Jesus today, but God is going, Rob, you've got so many things to do. If I was to do all that, you would die right now. You couldn't handle what I would do in you. It's going to take time, my son, but I want you to daily confess. I want you to daily to walk with me, and little by little, I'm going to change you. I'm preparing you. I'm working in you, and don't be discouraged, Christian, when you fall on your face and when you sin and when you do wrong things. You, you confess it, and you get back into the Word. You don't let the enemy keep you from God. You don't let the enemy keep you from prayer. You don't let the enemy keep you from Bible study and studying it, and then trying to, and then praying and saying, Lord, help me appropriate these things that I'm reading into my life and in my heart. I don't want to be the same man tomorrow as I was today. I want to be better than, than I was today. When I wake up tomorrow, I want you to have done something new in my heart, that you'd have done something, and Lord, help me to even recognize it so I can be encouraged. And doesn't he do that sometimes too? He just gives you a little glimmer. Wow, Rob, six months ago, you, when you struck your, 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 your thumb with the hammer, you would have spouted out an obscenity but now, when you smash your finger with the hammer, you just bleed and grimace. <laughs> I'd rather do that. Ow! God wants to do a lot. And so, quickly, Ahaziah finally comes down with the men. He goes before the king and he tells them, Exactly the same message that he's been saying all along. Nothing has changed. Why? Because Ahaziah's heart has not changed. I almost wonder what would have happened after he came down, and if he came down and said to him, you're going to die, and if that man, Ahaziah, said, you know what, Elijah, I've been playing the fool. I know what you're saying is true, and God, your God, would you forgive me? And I wonder what God would have done. But we don't have to worry about what God would have done. But I believe that God would have healed him. And, and if his heart was changed, it would, it would go for the better. But he came down and he spoke the word of God to Ahaziah. And what does Isaiah say? 
In Isaiah 55, for as the rain comes down as the, and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And I love that. That's why the pressure is off of you and I when we go out and share with people. It's not our job to save people. Only the Holy Spirit of God can save a soul. But what are we responsible for? We are responsible simply to tell and leave the results up to God because his word is not going to return void. And, um, and so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And then because he had no son... Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Um, Now one thing you're going to have to understand and be patient with, and and then we're going to end here, because I know it's warm in here, and you've all been hearing me for an hour now. So, Um, As we go further into 2 Kings, one thing you have to understand is there's going to be a period in Israel's history and in Judah's history, where they're going to have a king by the same name. And you're going to see it pretty, pretty quickly, because Jehoram is the son of Jehoshaphat, who was the king in the southern two tribes. And now there's going to be a Joram or Jehoram uh, from the northern ten tribes. And they're going to be living about the, about the same time. And they're going to be their reign is pretty much almost the same. And so... As you read through Chronicle, or as you read through Kings, and as you look at in Chronicles as well, you're going to see the similar names. But pay close attention to which king he's referring to, because Jehoram and Ahaziah, both of those two names, were kings in the northern two tribes, or the northern ten tribes, and the southern two tribes as well. And and they they happen at a pretty close proximity to one another. And so as you read, try not to get those confused. And, and look where it says, you know, Ahaziah of Ahab or Ahaziah of Israel. And then you go, okay, so that's not the Ahaziah of Judah. No, it's not. So if you get those straight, because sometimes the names can get a little tricky. And so I've made for you in, um, in the back of the room, there's these two charts. And it's over there by that lamp post. There's two piles. If you've already got this, don't take one. But if you've never received them, feel free to take one of each. These are uh, basically the kings of Judah and, um, and also Israel. And it shows a, a chart. And I've put both of them on here. And they only vary a little bit by like a year or so. Not, not much. Because the same gentleman, Edwin Thiel, um, who was a, a really wonderful um, uh, man, a wonderful scholar. He's probably done the best work that I've ever seen in trying to reconcile these dates with the kings. And so both of these are on that back uh, table back there. Feel free to grab one of each, but it'll help you as you go along in kings uh, as well, especially in Second Kings. And you can kind of keep track and you can see what's coming next and, and you see the timeline and then you see when they are led into captivity. And I don't know about you, but that really is exciting to me because I see the grace of God in all of this. 
You know, I see the grace of God in showing all these things, giving mercy and grace to everyone for the evil and the good. What does the Bible say? He causes his sun to shine on the, on the evil, on the just and the unjust. He causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God loves people. He loves people. And we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot from what we read here. And so uh, why don't we stand together and let's pray. Thank you for your being in a, is it just me or is it warm in here? It's not just me? It's not warm? Okay, well, I must be the only one. I don't know, there's no lamp on me, but I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt too, so whatever. Anyway, Lord, we thank you for tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for your word and, Lord, how it changes us, how you're challenging us. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, Lord, that you would encourage them, Lord, that you'd strengthen them in the faith, and, Lord, that you would protect them. Lord, that as we, as we read these things, Father, and as the, it, it can be difficult, God, may nobody lose heart, may nobody be discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would encourage every believer here tonight, regardless of what they're going through, Jesus, would you please just apply that balm of Gilead on their heart and, Lord, revive them and just know that your truth is real, Lord, you are real and, and that you love us and you warn us for our good. Lord, you're the perfect heavenly Father. You're the, you're the greatest shepherd. You're the good shepherd. You're the chief shepherd. You're the God of all creation who loves us. Lord, I pray that everyone here tonight would receive a blessing tonight and tomorrow. Lord, please pour out your spirit upon the church here tonight and, and all across our country. Lord, help us to be about your business again and just cleanse us, Lord, and help us to worship you with all of our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a good night.